Welcome to Women Leading the Way Radio Show, where each time you'll hear from successful women CEOs, executives, and professionals, where we'll discover how they do what they do to be successful in business. We'll be interviewing women who have overcome big challenges, women who have incredible stories of lessons learned in dealing with adversity. We'll even interview women who have started and grown successful organizations and women who are C-level executives with unique talents and positions. Our goal is to bring successful businesswomen together to share how they're leading the way in business today. Good afternoon and welcome to Women Lead Radio, brought to you by Connected Women of Influence. I'm Diane Callahan and I'm your host of the Lighthearted Life Radio Show. Today our topic is how do we address the biggest questions in life and I'm so excited to introduce you all, listeners, to my guest. His name is Richard Thor Collins, and he is the author of a recently released book called House of Souls. He's also a a former uh, BBC, let me think, how do I say this right? A former BBC broadcast journalist broadcasting. Broadcast, yes, that's right. Yes, And, and he lived in Southern California, not very far from where I am, for about 12 years, but you'll hear his accent. He is really a UK guy. So Richard, welcome, welcome, welcome Hello. to the show. Thank you so much, Diane. It's good to be with you. I'm really, really excited. Well, first of all, let me say, Richard and I um, met, so to speak, through our involvement with an organization called Hope Writers. Um, it's a it's a group of writers who um, work together to, to to promote and share their thoughts and their books on deep things, mostly. Um, and so that's how we got to know each other. And as we've gotten to know each other, we've realized that we have many similarities and differences and also many interesting connections. Um, Richard, I want to start out by asking you about your daughter, Rebecca. Um, she just recently had a baby, your first grandchild. Is that right? That is correct. Yes, this Monday, she gave birth to Samuel Aguilera. Um, he was a big boy. He came out at 9.2 pounds, so quite a big baby. And uh, she's doing well. My wife is over there right now uh, with uh, Rebecca and her husband, Caleb. And uh, we are thrilled to become grandparents. I am so excited for you, and I'm so excited for me, too, because uh, over here in California, we're um, also on Baby Watch. My son, Colin, and his wife, Megan, are um, having their first child, our first grandchild, and she could come anytime. Her due date is early June, and so she could be here anytime, and we'll be welcoming I'm so excited for you, Diane. You're going to have a great time. I, I, I've been looking forward to it. <laughs> uh, you, you know, I'll just tell you just quickly, I did not grow up knowing my grandparents. I, my, my, I'm, I'm the fourth of five kids, and we're much, my younger sister and I are much younger than the first three. And so there was only one grandparent left by the time we got here and he passed away before I really knew him at all. So not growing up with grandparents, I don't know what that's like. And then my son Colin is actually my husband's son. He's my child of my heart. I was not able 
to have my own baby. So I never raised my own children either. So this oh. is um, this is really the the dream of my heart that God had found, has found a way to make um, come true. So I, I could, I'm just so excited. I can't stand it. <laughs> well, well, you know what they say about grandparents, which is that we get all the good bits of looking after kids so we get to spoil and treat them and then uh, when they're all sticky and tired we can hand them back to their parents so I'm looking forward to doing that <laughs> uh, when are you are you planning to come to come to the states to, to meet young Absolutely. Master yeah. Samuel <laughs> yeah yeah well I'm I'm actually traveling over on June the 1st so oh, in just a couple of weeks yeah I'm going to be coming over uh, to spend about five weeks over there. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, yeah. actually, maybe we could um, find a way to we, maybe we might grab be lunch or something. To. Yes. In actual yeah, yeah, person. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that would be nice. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah, that would be fabulous. Now, let, let's get into the um, the purpose of our show. Let's talk about some of the biggest questions that we have. So you're – your book, House of Souls, is a narrative theodicy, right? Theodicy? I said yeah. it right. Theodicy is a word which means uh, the defense of God in the face of human suffering. Mm-hmm. I actually came up with the idea of the book um, after reading a very successful book which came out in 2007, I think it was, called The Shack. I read it in uh. 2008. And the shack, uh-huh. um, I, I had some significant problems with some aspects of the book, but what I really liked about it was the kind of book it was. And I've, I've kind of titled it Narrative Theodicy, which is essentially a story in which characters directly address the issue of human suffering and God's and the presence of God in all of that. So in the shack, um, for those who know, the plot of the book is basically a man has lost his daughter and he encounters God at the shack. I, I didn't want to rewrite the book, obviously, but I wanted to to have another go at that. And so in mm-hmm. my book, I have a an English man um, and an American woman, and when they're uh, when they go to bed at night, their souls are transported to an alternative realm which I've named the Espacio, for those of you who speak Spanish, it's the space. And when they get Mm -hmm. there, they encounter guides who dialogue with them about the reason why God permits suffering. But they also have the opportunity to find healing for their souls, healing from the pain that's come from their own lives. And as they get to know each other, they fall in love, and I won't give away the plot of the book, but um, it kind of develops from there. I lo- well, first of all, I loved the shack and hated it at the same time because it was just <laughs> so painful. I mean, did, ha- did you see the movie that came from the book? I did. I wasn't a big fan of the movie. I must say I preferred the book. But then generally I prefer books to movies anyway. Well, you know, most most writers do prefer the word. I mean, because <laughs> when you're reading a book, you're, you know, you're like producing and directing and creating right. the film yeah. inside it's your, your imag- brain. It's, 
It's your imagination. And our imaginations are so powerful. We create things in our heads which are so wonderful. Uh, When you watch the movie, it's all given to you, which is a a wonderful art form, but it's not the same as reading a story. Right, right. I agree. And there's, there's so much more nuance often in, in the book, you know, to be able to, to read the thoughts in addition to the dialogue or. Yeah. And I think you know one I mean? of the things that you get, yeah. One, one of the things about books is, is that you can talk to two people who've read the same book and they have different ideas of really what the author was saying. So there's many kinds of ways in which people can imagine, for example, in my book, where the, the, the two characters are transported to a large house on a cliff mm-hmm. top in a beautiful part of the world. It's essentially all the most beautiful places that I know. Um, uh-huh. there's, yes. there's water, there's villages, there's forests, there's cliffs, there's valleys, there's beautiful um, vegetation. But each person, when they, when they read the book, will be imagining the, the house in a different way. Everybody has a different way of doing that. And that's really, that's what books do. They invite the reader to use their imagination and to engage with the story itself. And especially my kind of book is really asking people, instead of giving people the answer to the problem of human suffering, the purpose of the book really is to invite the reader to imagine the story and then to engage with the dialogue that's going on in the book and to see and to draw their own conclusions about, you know, why we suffer the way we do. And I'm not going to go through all the different things that they discuss, um, but you can imagine when we talk about human suffering, we're talking about things like justice and free will and spiritual growth and all kinds of things which we think of when we think of human suffering and, you know, why God permits these things. Um, but it works so much better in a story than simply lecturing people because yes. it gives people the opportunity to interact, doesn't it? Uh, kind of in being conversation with the story. Yes. And a story, you know, kind of seeps itself into our, into our soul, into our knowledge. We can, we can recall a story because we get emotionally involved with the characters rather than just getting some facts given to us. Um, yeah. I love, I love all of this, these concepts, and it makes me think of a conversation I had with one of my brothers um, on New Year's Day it was. We were at my mom's house, and we were talking about, um, you know, the hard things that happen in life or whatever, and, and quote-unquote yeah. bad things. And so yeah. – my, so I'm not sure if you know this, and um, listeners, uh, regular listeners probably do know this about me, but I am a four-time cancer survivor. And so I've been blessed and challenged with these four fights with, you know, life-threatening cancer. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so my brother had said something to me about, uh, you know, like how, how we handle the bad things in our life. And, and he looked at me and he kind of put his hand out and said, you know, like all the cancer that you've gone through. And I sat there and I just had this sort of revelation that um, for me, and this, I'm not um, trying to say this is 
should be the narrative of every every cancer um, patient's life. But for me, um, all of this 16 past years of mine that have been dealing with cancer have brought me so many beautiful things, beautiful friendships, relationships, closer a closer relationship with God and interactions with God himself and all of these wonderful things. So I looked at my brother and I said, there's been so much good in my life because of an indirect relation to the cancer that I don't actually know if I can call it a bad thing. Now, yeah. I yeah. I don't want anybody I know and love to get cancer. In my mind, if they got cancer, that would be a bad thing. But the way of I've course. worked through this and God has helped me work through it is like I really can't call it a bad thing because so much good has come from it. So do do you see the world in in ways like Absolute, that too, Richard? I, you you know I I, re, I really do. And there's something interesting about this idea of the things that we learn through suffering. Because mm-hmm. when I when I originally kind of started writing the book, I kind of had all the categories of the the different theological arguments that have been proposed for understanding why suffering takes place. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot focuses around free will, for example, um, which I think is an, a, a possible part of the response, but certainly inadequate. Um, but one of the arguments has to do with something called the greater good. And greater goods are simply good things which come from suffering. In other words, people grow through their suffering. And mm-hmm. uh, so, I, so I included that element with, within the dialogue in the book. And then I got to the and I didn't realize this, I got to the end of the book and I, I sat back and I said, you know what, the, the honest truth of this is that there is a character in the book who exemplifies greater good. It's one of my main characters. I'm going to give it away here, actually, but it, it really doesn't matter. But essentially, her story, the story of my main character and her transformation through the book is the best way of exemplifying and showing greater goods because the transformation of her life through her suffering and her angry response as it's transformed in her um, encounter with the love of God thoroughly and completely changes her outlook on life. She has an encounter with the divine and mm-hmm. she is a completely different person by the end. So if you want to talk about greater goods, really, and especially you've seen this in your own life, Diane, when we go through suffering, every time we go through through, and we have it all the time, you know, in, in various different ways, big ways for you, for mm-hmm. example, with cancer, or, or little ways. We have an opportunity to choose how we're going to respond and how we're going to involve God in the responses that we make. Are we going to turn to him in faith? Are we going to worship him? Are we going to praise him and even facing difficulties? Or are we going to respond with anger and with rejection? And um, that invitation faces those of us who follow Jesus. That invitation is there every single day as we go through life. And the, the, the people that, <laughs> that grow are the ones that learn uh, to be able to look at their suffering and, and not, not have an answer to the why question. 
We often yes. go, well, why, why, why do I have cancer? Why, why did that person lose their child? Or, or why is this happening to me? Because we're not going to get an answer like that. The, 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 what we need to do is we need to respond to suffering by going, what is it teaching me? How is it yes. changing me? And that's what you've done. You've said, look, I've, I've meet, met these beautiful people. I've got these relationships. Things have changed in my life because as I've, as I've grown through and I, I've come through the sickness, good things have happened and I embrace those things. And, and that's yes. really where I think we're not going to get an answer to the why, but we do, each of us has, have an opportunity to respond in a positive way. How can I have more faith in God? How can I see the face of God in those who are supporting me or who I'm supporting? That's the thing to do. I love this. And, you know, I'm a speaker. That's, that's what God has given me the gifts and calling of my heart to do, especially after I couldn't keep working full time after all of my cancer treatments and things. And so one of the main things that I talk about a lot is this very topic. Um, and I approach it in different ways. But, you know, uh, we all know what PTSD is, post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and I respect it and I understand what it is. Um, but there's also um, the flip side of that, which is post-traumatic growth, PTG. And that actually yeah. happens, statistically, it happens more often than PTSD. But people don't know about it and they don't know to expect it and to look for it. And so I love to share stories. Um, a lot of my speaking, I share stories of people, regular people I've met who have overcome um, their, their painful things with post-traumatic growth and turned it into something, you know, for the greater good. And then I also share, yeah. you know, the bigger, the bigger, more well-known stories, like the, the woman whose daughter was hit and killed by a drunk driver and she created Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And they've, they've, it's estimated they've yeah. saved the lives of at least 500,000 people. And she came Incredible. up with that and got laws enacted. Yes, and if and if her beautiful daughter was still with us, and um, none of that had happened, other people's beautiful daughters and beautiful sons has nothing would have gotten better. And I don't think that that doesn't mean that I want to look into a mother's eyes and ask her to give up her daughter for the greater good. But God did that. Of course, of course, he gave not. up his of son. Of course not. I, th right? I think, uh, yeah, and I think that um, what we need to realize when people, especially people who are not believers and who are sec secular-minded and they don't have God in their lives and they don't have a, a kind of way of understanding these things, when they come to us and they go, well, why would God permit, you know, horrible suffering like, you know, the Holocaust or, you know, wars and death and disease and all of these things, why would he do that? I think what we have to realize is that they're actually not really asking the why question. That not really, mm -hmm. I mean, they, they come across with the why question, but they're not really asking the why question. They are just emoting that pain hurts. It hurts. Yes. And so when someone comes to me, and you know, I've had various people in various groups when I, when I you know, share, share about my, my Christian faith, and they go, you know, why, why does God allow suffering? And I say, well, no, t tell me what you're going through, and they'll share, you know, something painful in their life. 
the last thing they want to hear is me come up with some theological or philosophical response for why this might be happening. That, that is not helpful to them. What I want no. to say to them is um, I empathize. I, I can understand how that must be incredibly painful. And I'm not going to patronize you right now with giving you a bunch of reasons for why God may have allowed that to happen. That's not helpful to you. Um, what, what I can do, though, is say, in my, according to my belief system, God created us and he loves us. And when you suffer, he suffers with you. And in fact, he, he showed how much he loves you and understands your suffering, that he went to the nth degree to give up his beloved son in order to reconcile the world to himself, to make it possible for us to know him. And he is, he is right here in this room right now. And he not only understands what you're going through, but he is there with you. If you would but open your heart and turn to him, you can mm-hmm. receive his comfort and his love. Um, uh, you know, arguments and answers are not what people are looking for. What, the, what they want to know is that God cares for them. And I think that yeah. we, and with, with the Christian story at least, is my belief system, it provides a very powerful response to the problem of human suffering. And the beauty part is that he uses each and every one of us to help take some of that pain away. That's our, Absolutely. our mission. I want to talk more about this, um, but I also want to take a quick moment right now to recognize one of our sponsors and partners. Women Lead Radio is brought to you today by Connected Women of Influence and our partner, National University. National University is proud to be one of the largest private nonprofit universities founded in 1971. The National University mission is to provide accessible, achievable higher education to adult learners. Today, National University educates students from across the United States and and actually around the globe with more than 170,000 alumni worldwide. Thank you for your support, National University, and to all of our sponsors and partners. Now, we're back to the Lighthearted Life radio show, and once again with us today is Richard Thor Collins, author of House of Souls, and we are having a deep and amazingly uh, meaningful conversation, Um, and I wish that we had two hours in our show to keep talking because... Because, Richard, the things that you're sharing and the things that, um, that we're discussing are so universal to everyone. Everyone has storms in their life. That's what I like to call them. And, I've, you know, everyone has disappointments. Everyone has pain. Everyone, some yeah. people's, you know, storms are, seem almost insurmountable. And, that, that, and they, 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 yeah. Yeah, Sorry, and, I was and, just they, and say, they, what I was going to yeah, yeah, what so. I was going to say, Diane, is that we, you know we connected through Hope Writers, and if yeah. you look at the Hope Writer uh, Facebook page, where, and you can see all the different books that people are writing, I would say that eighty percent of the books that are being written are either memoirs or nonfiction responses to the problem of suffering. Yeah, dozens of the dozens of the uh, mostly women. Um, are responding to trauma and pain from their childhood, things that they've gone through and, and overcome 
and the lessons that they've learned that they then want to pass on to their readers. You know, there are dozens of these books coming out, and each of them has the capacity to touch an individual life. It may not be my life or your life, but there will be a reader out there that goes, goodness me, this woman has been through something that is incredible. Her lessons are so powerful, and it can be life-changing. And that's what writing does. It touches a life, doesn't it? Yes. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking, I was just nodding my head, which, of course, no one can see. Um, But I was thinking about my next book that I'm working on currently. It's called Journey Through Illness, and it's a guidebook for a trip you don't want to take. It's not a narrative about my story. There's a lot of books about cancer journeys that I respect and and revere, actually. But um, one of the words that's important to me is expectations, right? Um, To Learning to expect certain things like like honor the struggle expect that there will be struggles in our life so that when when you get a cancer diagnosis or other hard things um you don't you're not completely shocked because you know it says clearly in the bible that life does have struggle and life has pain and so expecting that that you know into every day some or in every life some rain must fall if you can expect it that's one thing. And then another expectation to carry with you is to look for the flowers that grow after the rain falls. You know, look for, sure. if you're going through a journey through illness, look for the souvenirs you could bring back like any other beautiful journey you go on. Um, and you might bring back a renewed faith or renewed gratitude or, or new relationships or deepened relationships or things that are, that are beautiful that could yeah, only and, come uh, yeah. from that journey. Absolutely. And you just used the word uh, um, gratitude, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, it's been identified by many writers, but psychologists, Christian writers, you know, through the generations. And I, I cannot tell you how important that is. It's, uh, we, we live in a culture which has <laughs> taught us in a certain way to become entitled we feel very entitled. We want, we want things quickly. The internet tells us that we can have our desires satisfied with a click of a button and then bad things come and suddenly we can't seem to get the result that we want. And mm-hmm. that is when our heart attitude is really under stress. Because if we live in a way in which we feel entitled to everything, then we're going to when suffering comes, we are going to suffer really badly. But if we have an attitude of gratitude, as you probably heard the little uh, um, memorable phrase, if, if if we take each day when we get up and we see everything as a gift from God, everything, our breath, everything around us, our body, our relationships, all the enjoyment that we have in life as a gift from God, when, when bad things come, we have the right attitude to then approach the difficulties in our lives because, uh, you know, the Bible teaches that, you know, the Lord gives and sometimes he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, whatever happens, he is worthy of our praise. And when that is our attitude, then when bad things happen, we don't feel bent out of shape as though somehow God has taken something away. You know, you've stamped on my rights and, entitled yes instead we have the right heart attitude that the lord is to be praised regardless of what happens in my life because he is good 
and he is, he is loving and eternal, and he has an eternal future for me. And therefore, he is worthy of my gratitude and my praise. You know, I absolutely, it's all, everything that you said is absolutely resonating in my heart right now. And I will tell you that through many, many, many storms in my life, the least of which in many ways has been cancer, the scripture, and I don't, I don't really know chapter and verse, but the scripture that has stayed with me is this. God works all things for good for those who believe in him. That yeah. means even the hardest thing that he's asking me to go through I can trust that there is something good that comes out of it. So before we wrap up, because we're, we're almost done. It's gone so fast. I know. I can, know. I know. Can you quickly <laughs> share, um, share with me what is it that you hope your readers take away from their encounter with your characters and with your book? Well, you know, what I would each reader is going to take something slightly different because it's a story. But what I'd really like for them to, um, some of my readers have read the book twice actually because the, they wanted to encounter the the guides that are that uh, guide my two main characters. They want to meet with these these beings. But what mm-hmm. these beings are really talking about is the love of the father. It's really about. Mm-hmm. Uh, my characters having an encounter with God and all of the arguments and the dialogue is all it's a way for suffering characters to simply get through the fog in order to be loved place where they can be loved and so I hope that my readers kind of carry away the idea when they go to the in their imaginations to the Espatia when they go there in their minds they go, you know, if I was here, I would love to be able to talk, but I would love to be able to receive the love of God and to encounter him and to be loved by him. Because it is, the, the place where they go is a place where they give and receive love. And however they encounter that love um, or, or see it in the story, it'll touch people in different places. But it, it's a place of love and grace and healing and good things. And that's really what we get when we go to the Lord. Yes, there's suffering in this yes. world, but, but he loves us and he has a glorious future for us. Oh, he has a glorious future for us. I think that is the best way to wrap up our conversation. Um, that is our show for today. And I just, Richard, thank you so much for sharing um, your, your heart and your story and your book with us. And I want to say a special thanks to all of our listeners in the United States and actually around the globe because we're an international show. And after our show today, you can listen to Women Lead Radio and on all of the subscription podcasts, specifically Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. So you can look for this show and other shows um, out there on those podcast places. And, um, and we are and very – oh, go ahead. Oh yes, and you can find my and you can find my book if you go to my um, website stardust-books.com, or you can send me an email at houseofsoulsbook at gmail.com. Thank you very much. Rich, popping in there and telling me that because I was so into our conversation, <laughs> I didn't ask you that. So yes, and listen, I want uh, listeners, I want you to know we're expanding quickly to a daily a, a radio show and podcast. So for now. We will be back again for another live Women Lead Radio show 
on Mondays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and on Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time. And it has been my sincere pleasure to be your host today. Thank you for listening. And I just wish you, Richard, and all of our listeners, the most beautiful and wonderful, lighthearted life. Thank you. Women Leading the Way is produced by Connected Women of Influence, the premier private membership organization where like-focused, business-to-business, executive and professional women connect, collaborate, and cultivate a vast network of high-level affiliations, resources, and professional relationships. For more information about Connected Women of Influence, please visit our website at connectedwomenofinfluence.com.